is the sound of a bowhead whale recorded by underwater microphones in the Arctic Ocean. When the Australian musician and composer Alyssa Goodrich first heard that sound, her reaction was instant. I was um, very moved, incredibly moved. Um, it's a very soulful sound and it's a very melodic and almost like a musical slide that I was hearing. We hear, perhaps, I'm not speaking scientifically, but we hear song and we hear another creature's song um, and it's very moving. This is the Polar Sounds Project, taking real sounds gathered at the Arctic and Antarctic and turning them into works of art. I was interested in the idea that what if we got to play with them as musicians so that there's a kind of slippage between are you hearing the whale or are you hearing the instruments? Um, And I was interested in kind of creating a little journey for the listener so that We announce this is the sound, this is the field recording sound, and then we start to play and introduce the instruments and then move into something perhaps more ensemble-like in honour of those beautiful creatures. And then returning, uh, returning to the creatures so that they have the last say. Joining me now are two of the people who have been coordinating the Polar Sounds Project. Stuart Fox is a sound artist who curates a global database of sounds from around the world. It's called Cities and Memory. And Geraint Rees Whitaker is an artist researcher at the Helmholtz Institute for Functional Marine Biodiversity and the Alfred Wegener Institute for Polar Marine Research. Hello to you both. Hi there. Stuart, you and I have spoken before about uh, the work that you're doing with this City and Memory Project. It is an amazing initiative. Uh, This is the same but very different. Why did you want to have a listen to and try to figure out what you could do with sounds from the North and the South Pole? Well, the Cities and Memory Project's um, basically defined by tagline, remixing the world one sound at a time. So it's about presenting all the sounds of the world, whether those are the sounds of the natural world or urban spaces, and then looking at them, I guess, from a, from a new perspective, from the kind of artistic perspective, by asking artists to produce compositions or, or remixes based on those recordings. And, and in this way, you can navigate the world through either the, um, you know, the real field recordings, or you can navigate it through this collective um, sort of reimagined sound world that's created by the, the, the collective um, experience of uh, thousands of artists. Um, and the Polar Sounds project is just one part of that. When Geraint came to us and kind of said, we've got all these amazing recordings from the Arctic and Antarctic, you know, would you be interested in connecting with your network of artists to do something with them? The answer is very obviously yes, because these are some, you know, as I'm sure we'll go on to talk about, these are some absolutely extraordinary sounds that are also um, not only incredible in their own right, but also quite hard to come by and, and rarely heard, which makes them even more fascinating. Had you ever heard anything quite like what he brought you? Uh, no, I mean, you know, you, you listen back to some of the sounds like singing ice sounds like um, a creature's a creature's song, or you listen to the call of the minky whale. It sounds like some kind of dub techno bass line. You know, these are ridiculous sounds. They sound like they're some from outer space almost.
All right, we'll talk more about some of those sounds. Garide, I don't know how uh, these sounds are, are harvested, how you end up with sounds like this. So what is the process in, in collecting sounds like the sound we just heard of, of the bowhead whale? Um, well, the, the acoustic scientists, what they essentially do is they put the um, sounds on research ships, on floats, um, using hydrophones, which are underwater microphones, and then they put them in the water and they can be there for anything from a year to two years. And then what happens then is they collect these sounds, um, but they don't know what they're going to receive until they come back after a year or two. So sometimes, you know, the batteries run out and unfortunately don't quite collect what you wanted to. It's a waiting game, really, to see what happens. But generally, the hydrophones go in the water for a year or sometimes two, and then they come back with this data. What happens is they're uploaded to these things called spectrograms, which is essentially a... It's like a waveform, a visual waveform, rather than uh, anything technically acoustic. And then from these waveforms... Um, you recognize certain signals in the patterns and the colors and then that is how sounds eventually are recognized because obviously if you've got a year's worth of data you can't uh, spend a year listening to it so it, it becomes a process of actually reading the data and visually reading the data and that's the process which i then use then to actually pick 50 sounds for this project and then working with the acoustic scientist who can then identify what those sounds are because they've honed their skills over decades now of being able to look at a signal visually and go, ah, okay, that's a that's a humpback whale. Ah, that's a that's a shipping noise. And were you familiar with Stewart's project before? Yes. So I love Stewart's project. It's amazing. And I, a few years, my background as an artist researcher, so I'm, my whole role at the two institutions is essentially as it's the UN Ocean decade now, the next decade, their emphasis is for creating a more engaging and inspiring ocean. And so my job over the next few years is to both work as an artist, but also create various projects where we can think of bringing art and science together, not only as a form of public communication, so that um, this important and vital science that is being collected by scientists gets translated to the public. But we can, what happens when we put scientists together to work on projects? And so having contributed to Stuart's Cities in Memory website maybe some two or three years ago now, um, myself and Dr. Ilse van Opseeland, who is one of the major acoustic scientists who actually works in the labs at collecting these sounds, um, we were looking on Stuart's website and we noticed that there the Antarctic and Arctic sounds, there was no, no sounds in the Arctic and Antarctic. And so we said, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we got in contact with Stuart and provided some sounds and used this, his amazing website to then get in contact with as many people as you can and see what they did then to see how they reimagined the sounds of the polar seas. And, and how unusual is it? I mean, I think, you know, we've all heard whale sounds before, but how unusual is it to hear this range of sounds from the Arctic and Antarctic? Well, in one sense, we're very fortunate because, like I said, we every time that a ship goes out, because the institute I work at, uh, they have their own ship, and it's one it's quite unique in the sense that the Paul Ashton it goes both to the Arctic and the Antarctic. It's one of very few in institutions in the world which actually go to both regions, and so, like I said, because you've got these long, long spectrograms and long, long sources of data, it takes quite a lot of time to 
discover what those sounds actually are and there are many cases where there are unusual sounds like you said which have yet to be identified because they haven't come up in other archival acoustic data from the past so you know because it's so dark in the polar seas it's near enough impossible to use cameras so acoustic data becomes very very critical to the way that science not only how mammals travel underwater but also how scientists understand the ocean because we're blind down there really Stuart, we heard uh, a little bit of uh, Alyssa Goodrich there, one of the artists who's involved in this. And as you said, I mean, the tagline to this project in some ways is is remixing the sounds of the world. Give us a sense as to the range of, of the artists that these sounds were turned over to. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a vast range in there. So more than 100 artists um, took part in the project, um, and they're from all around the world, and they're from all kinds of different backgrounds. So we had... You know, some artists that are also um, scientific researchers, some that actually already have, um, you know, an interest in research areas around things like the Arctic. Um, so that was quite interesting, right the way through to people who uh, actually are um, performers of traditional Korean string instruments who just kind of saw the project and wanted to get involved with it. So there's, you know, a huge range of responses. say there's you know some things that didn't surprise me and others that did surprise me so what what didn't surprise me was the the range of artistic responses you could give a hundred people the same recording and you'd get back a hundred completely different artistic responses to it which is you know in itself fascinating um but a couple of the things that did surprise me i think um the first one is the number of artists who left the original recording in completely untouched. So normally you'd expect the record, um, any given field recording to potentially be chopped up or to have uh, effects applied to it or to be used in some, some other kind of manipulated way. Um, but a lot of the artists, um, myself included, for the, for the composition that I added to the project, left the recording completely untouched in the composition because the sounds were so, um, so unique, so interesting, and sometimes so inherently musical in themselves that they were just kind of left as they were. And I guess the second thing that I found surprising was the range of emotional responses um, to the recording. So, you know, we're, as we just talked about, this is effectively scientific data, but a lot of the responses that came through were from artists deeply engaging with the stories behind the data. So, you know, around climate change, around biodiversity, around the way that humans are destroying the habitats for a lot of these creatures and, and what that made you feel. there's a couple of songs in there where you've actually got lyrics um, where they've you know they've produced a composition um, from the recordings and actually you know written lyrics which sometimes deal with um, issues around climate change and biodiversity and actually put that into song form have the engine idle to keep you cool I think the fact that you know these, these sounds can be um, inherently musical in of themselves was was completely unexpected. You know, I wasn't expecting to hear the call of a minky uh, whale and for it to sound you know effectively like a dub bass line already. Um, and when I was working with the sound of the of the Ross seal, that actually sounded like some kind of 
um, old 1970s modular synth so it's just something that, that sat really naturally in the mix of the piece that I did just completely untouched as an instrument in its own right which is just really interesting to hear Okay, so what is that? Um, the sample you can hear there is uh, the Ross seal, which is, I think, one of the um, species of seal about which um, quite little is known because they live quite often um, a lot of their lives in the open sea, so they're not as easy to observe. Um, so that's where acoustic data becomes really um, important for tracking kind of what they're doing, migration patterns, population numbers, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so that's one of the calls of the um, Antarctic Ross seal. Here's a little bit of what you did with some of those sounds. So as you're sitting in front of the computer and you have those sounds, how do you figure out as an artist what you want to do with them and what you can do with them? I mean, from from my point of view, um, it, it's it's always going to be something different that jumps out of the sound. Um, whenever I listen back to something, I'm waiting for that moment. I'm waiting for that that kind of point that jumps out at me and gets my attention and immediately and makes me think, well, actually, I could take this element of the sound and I could do this with it. And that's kind of where you, where you what my starting point is typically. But I think that would be different probably for every artist that you asked. I added in a sample of cracking ice kind of midway and at the end of the composition and, and that was about sort of um, the composition layers, the, the, the seal song, as you can imagine that as being like at the, the top layer of the ocean and then there's all these deep bass sounds that represent the, the lower depths um, of the sea and then the cracking ice sections in the middle of the composition are there very much to represent the kind of shrinking habitat of the seals uh, and to kind of um, try and bring that to life in the composition a bit more so you've kind of got them in their natural habitat for part of the composition and then you've got this sort of part of their of the composition that, that represents the threat that they the threat that they're facing so yeah that, that's kind of why that's in there Garant, you also um in addition to supplying some of this sound had the opportunity to transform some of it let's have a listen to uh, to what you came up with Hello to you, wherever you are in the world. What you are about to hear is something that has never been heard before. Using cutting-edge translation technology, scientists have conducted the world's first interview with a humpback whale community from the Arctic. In this extract from the conversation, the whales discuss the impact that industrial-scale seismic airgun oil and gas surveys has had on them and their homes. Airguns produce a pulse of sound that can spread from tens to hundreds of kilometers under the ocean. We never knew the extent of the damage until now. Here will be those of the whales. 
main bombing was continuously in the same area. You, you had to be so careful. The highway had been hit there badly with a bomb, which I, I found I had to divert again. So frightening. And when they were passing, and I heard it come down, and their home got a direct hit. When the siren went, when the, the warning went, it was an up and down wailing noise. Um, you would hear one siren start, and then within the Grant, what is that? I feel like I would have heard had there been actually an interview with whales uh, that, that was done. But what were we like actually listening to? Well, that was actually the first ever interview that's ever been done with whales. So um, that's an exclusive for you here on Radio Canada. <laughs> You've got the exclusive. No, um, yeah, so for my piece, it was the sound of the seismic air guns, which was, was explained there are used mainly for oil and gas exploration, but they're also used very much by scientific institutes because the technology has, you know, a lot of money has been invested in technology. So at the moment, that technology used, and essentially, like it's said in the piece, they create this air, pulse of air into the ocean, and that's how they explore for oil and gas. But this is a very loud pulse of air, especially to mammals. Um, who use communication not only can it be harmful to them physically by you know affecting their hearing but it also masks their communication so distorting and degrading the sound signals that they send to each other for mammal uh, for mating purposes for directional purposes and also for finding food and so when i first heard the sound to me it sounded like bombs going off because Swansea, the city I'm from in South Wales, got bombed and more or less flattened during the Second World War. I wondered whether that could be a source of inspiration to explore this idea of what it might feel like to be in a situation where your environment is completely destroyed um, by sound as well as, you know, physically. And so I went to the archives in Swansea Library and I explored these interviews. I came across these great interviews from the 1970s where the interview was asking people to recall their memories of the uh, devastation that I had. And I was astounded, really, to find some amazing clips. Different wailing sounds going off in the whole area. A few bombs fell. And about three or four explosions. But on this particular occasion, the water was absolutely blood red. Um, you know, the fact that they used the word whaling to describe the sounds of the sirens as the bombs went off, and they talk about the water being blood red, and they talk about the schools being destroyed. A lot of kind of connections are then made with RK, then maybe I could use these as if they're the voices of the whales talking to us. Um, and to try to, you know, make us give that human element, that emotional element to the whales, because, you know, this is happening right now. It's really yeah. powerful. It's really quite something. Um, I want to hear from one one more artist. Um, this is is the only one on the list who comes from Canada. This is Alex Abakhmed, a composer in Vancouver. I have, I have been using field recording in my work quite a bit. The idea of working with uh, field recordings that I've never heard before, or probably would never have the chance to record myself was uh, pretty exciting. I ended up working with a field recording of uh, narwhals. And the narwhals were uh, extremely active in the recording. It sounded like there were quite a few of them. Throughout the, the process, like 
finding that um, narwhals uh, swim around and underneath the ice sheets for uh, protection and to feed, and that they can also die from getting caught in it if it freezes very quickly. Uh, kind of like inspired me to try and create something imagining from their perspective, if that makes sense. <laughs> What I like about working with field recordings uh, is that it, uh, it's something to do with the reproduction of sounds that we don't usually pay attention to. We get a different perspective. Ryan, what do you want people who listen to this, who, who think perhaps they have surface knowledge, truly like surface knowledge of, of, of the seas, but what do you want them to really understand about what's going on in the areas where these sounds were collected? Uh, first of all, I think um, I want people to, obviously they will take what they, what they will from it, but I want people first of all to realize the importance of sound to the oceans, not only for our understanding of the oceans, but for the habitats themselves. And I think these sounds are quite incredible when you listen to them and they create this emotional connection. And I think this is, uh, you know, a deeper reason of why I'm, you know, why we did this project and why I'll be doing a bunch of other projects over the next few years here in Germany is to kind of see how we can explore how art and science can come together and create these emotional connections. Because, you know, research tells us that science is not enough or science alone is not enough to create real engagement because people might know that a problem's happening but unless you create a narrative and a a real connection an emotional connection to you know the public then that science and that data might be lost so if if people listen to this and they start thinking about the polar seas in a different way or they start exploring how sound is not only important in the polar seas, but also maybe important in their own lives. I think that is, that can only be a good thing. But equally, we're very realistic in the sense that although art is an amazing tool to inspire the public to think about these bigger issues, that the owner shouldn't just be on the general public because sometimes the general public don't have the power to change these things. You know, and whether people have the power is not just about the public; it's about policymakers it's about government it's about everyone working together and so because still at the moment when it comes to governance of sound in marine protected areas um, a lot more needs to be done and so hopefully with projects like this but um, other pressures as well that more regulation could come in you know as as deep sea mining increases as air guns continue to be used as shipping increases as the arctic sea ice melts um, the seas are only going to get louder and so we hope that at least it begins a conversation but hopefully we can use it as well to actually target numerous groups of society rather than just one group of society because I think that's the kind of action that's needed if real changes whatever that sounds and looks like happens basically. And Stuart from, from your perspective I mean what do you want 
us to be thinking about as we listen to this in the context of the work that you do, which is about in many ways preserving the sounds of the world? Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely, um, you know, chime in and, and agree with all the things um, that have just been said. I think on, on top of that, you know, what's hap- what the Polar Sounds Project does connects with everything else that we're doing on, on Cities and Memory. And I think it's about creating effectively a new form of listening um, and helping people to listen to the world around them a little bit differently. So whether that's, you know, a recording of, um, you know, the street down the road from where they live or, you know, birdsong in a rural area or whether they're listening to the sounds of like of a minke whale in the Antarctic, it's about listening to those sounds differently. And they're from there creating this new form of listening, which will help people to uh, recognize the importance that sound plays in our lives and to think about how we might preserve and, and maintain and keep some of that. I've never heard anything like this. And I think I said that the last time we spoke as well. It's remarkable stuff. Um, and uh, I can't wait to hear more of it. Thank you both for, uh, for being here. Cheers. Thank you so much. Stuart Fox is a sound artist who curates a global database from sounds from around the world. It's called Cities and Memory. Geraint Rees Whitaker is an artist researcher at the Helmholtz Institute for Functional Marine Biodiversity and the Alfred Wegener Institute for Polar Marine Research. They were talking to us about their Polar Sounds project. And we had a conversation uh, in past with Stuart Fox about the work that he does. If you just Google the Cities and Memory Project, you'll see and perhaps get linked to that earlier conversation, but also hear the range of work that he has been curating from around the world. That's The Current for this Monday. Q's up next. We're going to leave you with one more piece from this project. This is a South African artist and producer, Mr. Sakitumi, reimagined the sound of the humpback whale. And as you'll hear, he's one of the artists who kept the raw sound of that animal largely intact in what he came up with. Mr. Sakitumi explains the song mirrors the journey of the humpbacks. It starts where they feed in the polar waters, and start their huge migration to tropical waters, finally arriving at their destination to breed and give birth. This is Majestic Mammalia. I'm Matt Galloway. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. 